0: To learn more about The Church at West Gant, visit us at www.thechurchatwg.com or visit our Facebook page, and we would love to connect with you. Have a great day. Well, good morning. I, uh, as Chris said, I have the final uh, sermon from the Sermon on the Mount series. I love how last week... He used one verse, and the week before that, two verses, and then this week, he gives me 14 verses. So, uh, I, I've got a, a healthy task, I guess. Um, as uh, as Brother Wes said, he told me, he said, uh, the somebody had stuck an alarm clock up here, and so he said, I need to speed this process up, even though I've got a bunch of them. Oh, it's over there. <laughs> I was looking for it. But... Going into this sermon this morning, um, something that we we need to kind of understand um, about this particular passage that we 're going to be reading through. This is the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. This is um, jesus' uh, his final topics um, and just to kind of kind of get an understanding and a glimpse and a little bit of imagery. Um, with what's taking place and kind of how the Sermon on the Mount unfolded, we had to kind of go back to just before chapter 5. And so Jesus had started his ministry and he had uh, been been doing things. He had called disciples. He had performed some miracles. They were bringing people out for him to heal and things like that. And so Jesus was going through that process and crowds were starting to follow him. And he's walking through and, and we come to uh, the mount where he goes to start his sermon, and he sits down, and the disciples sit down. And and uh, just imagine for just a moment, you're part of that crowd. Here's Jesus, this man that you've hear, heard some teaching, you've seen do some healing, you're following him around, and then all of a sudden, he starts to walk up on the side of a mountain and just sits down. Um, there's got to be some kind of question about what's going on, what's taking place, uh, what, what is he about to do? Uh, again, this man is... Uh, he's doing things that they've never seen before. He's healing people that shouldn't be healed. There, there's a lot going on here. And so for for the crowd, I'm sure there was a, a little bit of um, excitement, a little bit of anxiety about what's about to come next. And then Jesus starts to preach. He opens up his mouth, and, and he goes in um, to things like, Blessed, um, excuse me. I gotta go back. I forgot the verse. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. and And then he goes furthermore, and, and just like a normal sermon, Jesus comes out with his point. Right, his overarching theme of righteousness, and he talks about how we, our righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees, and and he points to them, the religious leaders of the time, and and he shows that the people who would have looked at them as the righteous people, as the religious leaders, and he points to them and says, "Listen, they're not good enough. Here's what you've got to be." And so, and the crowd is just they're mesmerized by this, and and they're learning. Through him, and he's going through this sermon, and he's, he's giving us examples of this righteousness. And then as we've seen, as we've seen in the past couple of weeks, God goes, that, goes through that, or Jesus goes through that, and then we see a shift where Jesus takes it to the application of our life, right? He tells us, hey, look, if we want to achieve this, we've got to ask, we've got to seek, we've got to knock. He tells us how to deal with relationships when it comes to the golden rule. And so it's amazing that here we are 2,000 years later from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and us pastors, we're still doing the same thing. We're preaching just like Jesus does. We have a topic, we have a point, and, then, and we, we, we try to throw in examples, and we pull scripture out that points towards how that should look and what that should look like, and then we, we shift to how do we apply this to our lives, and then finally, we come to a, a time of decision, we come to an invitation, a, a time of action. And so just as, as we do here today, Jesus did back then. As a matter of fact, if, if you wanted to just take a moment and, and, and kind of get an idea of what it would be like to hear Jesus to actually preach a sermon, you could really start in chapter 5 and just read all the way through chapter 7. I, I mean, I feel, I feel like, um, you know, it's... it's Awesome, and I, I have the privilege to break down this sermon. But Jesus said it beautifully enough. He he gives he gives us this uh, this idea of righteousness. But again, today we're we're coming into the conclusion. We're coming into the time of decision. So as we look at that, we're going to read through verse thirteen. or We're going to start in verse thirteen, and it says, "Enter through the narrow gate." For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. I want to pause right there. Once again, if we we remember this is Jesus' invitation, just like a, a, a pastor would do today. He is giving us the information, he tells us what we need to know, and then he implores us on the decision we should make. Jesus starts, verse 13, with enter through the narrow gate. He doesn't give us a choice about which gate we should choose, either wide or narrow. He tells us where to go. He tells us to go through this narrow gate. This narrow gate is the only one that leads to life, as we see in verse 14, he, he's imploring us to go through this. He's, he's trying to get us to understand that this is the only right choice. Some of you this morning, you may have seen me. I, I put a, a, There's a needle down here, and there's a piece of thread that runs all the way through to the back back there. Some of you may have stepped on this thread as you walked in and got your seats this morning. Um, one person in particular almost tripped over this thread this morning. It was my fault. I, it was my fault. But this this thread here, right, it's laid out. And I was hoping to get a picture uh, uh, looking through the eye of the needle, but I was unable to. Uh, I'm not a photographer, so I'm not great at that. All right? But uh, with that being said, I want you to imagine that this sanctuary is the world. This, this narrow gate and this path that leads to life. It's just like this needle and this thread. See, many of you didn't even realize that there was a, a piece of thread laying down through there. You, you definitely didn't see the needle unless you were just standing with me. And that's the way it is. This, this narrow gate and this, this way that Jesus is talking about. It's small. It's hard to find. But as we see within this room, it's easy to be on the wide path. It's easy to go through the wide gate. As a matter of fact, without choice this morning, if we were making a choice, none of us are standing on the narrow path. We're all on the wide path. We didn't even make the choice to stand on the wide path, and we're on the wide path. When we're born, we're born into this sinful nature, we, we sin and we're automatically on the wide path. The wide path is easy. It's not going to trip you up. I, I am a little clumsy every now and then, but I didn't fall trying to come up these stairs this morning. It's not going to trip you up. There's not going to be things that are thrown out in your way. You don't have to worry about being distracted on the wide path. But Jesus realizes and tells us that this wide path will take us to a place of destruction. Look, even, even in the moment you say, well, I, 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 don't, I didn't choose this path. I didn't, I didn't necessarily choose that I didn't want to go down Jesus' path. It doesn't matter. Just being there on the wide path will lead to destruction. See, the narrow gates. And the narrow path is the only way to life. And it's hard. It's hard to find. And it's hard to stay on the path. My, my foot is bigger than this thread that's laid out through here. So just trying to walk down this thread, and granted, I, I'm, it's not the straightest of line either. But just trying to walk on that thread alone, my foot would be hanging off the edges As we walk down the narrow path, again, it's very small compared to all the distractions of the world. It's very hard to stay on the path. Anything that draws our attention away, that causes us to turn our heads, will cause us to step off of this path. But once again, Jesus implores us to take this path, because Jesus is is trying to get us to understand that it's the only path that will lead to life. It's the only way that we can have true, eternal life and never have to worry about destruction. It's the only way that he knows that we can go to have full joy, full peace, full happiness in our life. Again, he tells us to enter through that narrow gate. I don't know how many of you are seamstresses or are sowers I, I'm not very good, but I, I can do a little bit every now and then. It's I, I don't have the youngest of eyes, but it's hard sometimes to get that thread to go through that needle, that eye of the needle. It's the same way for us to try to find the path. Sometimes it's hard to find the gate to go. It's hard to figure out where to enter. But Jesus still implores us to go through it. Jesus is foreshadowing in this moment because he knows that he is the one who opens the gate. He gives us where the gate is, not necessarily here, but when he's hanging on the cross. See, Jesus is the way, he is the path, he's the only way to the Father, he's the only way to eternal life. And that narrow gate that he speaks of that's his arms as they were stretched wide as he was hanging on a cross. As his blood poured out to cover our sins, he had the gate open. Because Jesus knows, even in this statement, he is telling them, You have to go through me. I am the only way, I am the narrow gate. You don't have to seek anymore because I'm here. He implores them to step through the narrow gate. I implore you this morning that if you haven't made that choice to step through that narrow gate, don't leave this place without doing it. As we go further, next we see that he tells us to beware of the false prophets. Verse 15 says, "'Beware of false prophets "'who come to you in sheep's clothing, "'but inwardly are ravenous wolves.'" lawlessness. Jesus fair warns us about these false prophets. Once again, as we talk about our path, you can be easily distracted off of the path. Your attention can be easily grabbed by somebody else. We have to beware of the people who are leading us, who are teaching us if you hear something on a, on a podcast or you read something in a, in a, in a letter or an um, uh, um, article about God and, and faith, you need to be aware of who the author is. If you heard a preacher for the first time and, and he tickles your ears and everything sounds great, you need to do your research. We have to be aware of the false prophets. How do we understand who these false prophets are? By their fruits. This was no doubt pointing back to the Pharisees. Again, the Pharisees are supposed to be these righteous leaders. They're supposed to be the ones who are telling the truth, who are doing God's will. And yet, inwardly, it was all for their glory. As we look towards these people who are giving us this information, are they pointing towards Jesus? Are their fruits, their labors, their works for God, or are they for themselves? Is it about making their name known? Is it about getting the right paychecks, about preaching or teaching in the right churches? We have to be aware of their motives. See, this is not just a problem for preachers, though. This is a problem for anyone who claims to be a, a follower of Christ. Where are their actions? You might have friends who, who try to give you some kind of information, who, who, who share something with, about their faith with you. But does it point towards God? You say, well, this is just a problem for them. It's not a problem that we have in this day and age. It's very easy to notice But just to give you a little proof, I saw a study the other day. The title said nearly 70% of born-again Christians say other religions can lead them to heaven. According to the survey by Probe Ministries, 3,106 Americans age 18 to 55 from all religious groups were surveyed. Of that 3,106, 717 identified as born-again Christians amongst all respondents ages 18 to 39 who professed affiliation with some religion, fewer than one of five strongly disagree with the statement that Muhammad, Buddha, and Jesus all taught valid ways to God. Fewer than one in five say that Jesus taught a valid way to get to God. It goes on, it said, some 60% of that group said they shared their faith with someone at least annually. So once a year, somebody shared their faith with somebody. Their false teaching I'm not necessarily saying that that is for their glory, but what I'm saying here is that 60% of a group of at least 717 you know, born-again Christians are sharing their faith, but their faith is wrong. They're spreading a gospel that Jesus is not the only way, that there is no narrow gate, that it, all gates and all paths lead to the Father. Their survey also found that among the top reasons given by born-again Christians for not telling others about their faith is pluralism, or that is, there is more than one way to get to heaven. These are supposed born-again Christians who trust that Jesus is the Savior, who can't tell you that Jesus is the only way. We have to be careful of false teachers. We have to be aware of them. They are there to cause you to step off the path, to walk away from Jesus, to take your eyes off of Him for just a split moment, because that's all that's needed, and then you're on the wide path. Not only is this a, a warning to us, this is also a mirror. Should we, as we read this passage, we should reflect on ourselves. What kind of fruit trees are we? Are we ones that produce good fruit or bad fruit? As we go through uh, our normal lives and and we, we talk about religious stuff, we talk about Jesus, is it for our glory to make us look better is it out of tradition because we're told by, the, by a, a Sunday school teacher or, or the pastors or whoever that you're supposed to share God's Word? Is it just tradition? It's an obligation for you. What is the purpose behind your works? What is the purpose behind our labors? Is our works and our labors pointing to God? Do, do we do it because we love God and we want the kingdom of God to be built up? Are we humble servants who only do it because God did it for us? As we go through this time, we should think about our lives. Think about our works, our actions, our deeds, and what the true purpose and meaning is for them. Finally, Jesus comes to his, his last statements, his last moments in the on, Sermon on the Mount. And we see the two foundations. Verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fail, was its fall. Let me ask you this today, how many of you have ever seen a house whose foundation is starting to go? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not a builder per se, but I, I work in the construction field enough to where I, I've seen many houses and we, we go to existing houses that are there and you'll see the cracks in the foundation. And once you get a crack in a foundation, it, it's not going to stop on its own. It's going to continue to grow. And it's eventually going to have, something's got to be done. You, you have to fix the foundation to save the house. But that can be extremely costly. It's not a cheap fix. And even if you do get it fixed by a professional, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to fix the problem. The house still may fall. Jesus tells us that if we act on his teachings, on his word, we're like the wise man who built the house on the solid rock. Just as we see in the story, just as we get this visual in the story, it's the same thing when it comes to our faith. The foundation, what does it look like? Do we build it on Jesus? Do we allow him to be the chief cornerstone? If we will let him do this, though we may go through trials and tribulations, though things may come upon us, our faith will never falter, it'll never fail. It will continue to grow. It will stand strong in the storms. It doesn't matter what the world may throw at us, we can continue forward. Or does your foundation by the second house, where it was placed on the sand? See, we, we sometimes like to place our foundation on things like our, our life and our jobs and our families our friends, or maybe even the possessions that we have. But one day those things will fade away. One day that foundation will start to fall. What we think will be permanent can be taken out in just a split second. As the storms come and as the rain falls, if we've placed our house on the sand, on these, on these other things besides Jesus, When we go through the trials and tribulations, our faith will fail. We will feel stuck. We will wonder how we got to this place. How do we escape it? We won't have anybody to carry us forward. Jesus won't have our six. So I ask you today in closing, first I want to implore you Just as Jesus did. That if you've never stepped through the narrow gates. If you've never stepped into his outstretched arms. Do that today. Walk into his arms. They're outstretched for anybody and everybody. You don't have to seek for the gate. You don't have to worry about not finding it. Jesus has given it to us. And he's showing it today. You might have walked into the narrow gate. You might have walked the the narrow path, but you stepped off for some reason. Something has got your attention. It's it's grabbed your focus, and you're not walking with Jesus anymore. That may not be you. Everything may be going well, but you you started listening to this. New podcaster, you started le- learning stuff from this new magazine and 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 it's teaching these radical new things, and it sounds great, but you hadn't done your research. You're letting somebody influence your faith and you haven't tested them. You haven't looked at their fruit, and so I want to encourage you today that if that's you, yes, it's great to listen to outside perspectives. yes, it's great to learn from others. But be sure you're testing it. Be sure you're judging their fruits. That may not be you. You may be the one who's teaching it. Your tree may be the bad tree. Your tree may be the one that's producing the fruit that's rotten. And so that's you today. I just encourage you to look in that mirror. Reflect. Leave it to God. Ask Him to correct, to give you the straight path, to open your eyes to the good teaching. I ask you today where's your foundation? I'm going to pray. And just as Jesus said right there when He was talking about the foundations, you have to act. Not on what I've said, but what he's said. What he's taught us. As we've gone through this entire Sermon on the Mount, where does your righteousness sit? Is it greater than the Pharisees? You have to act. Jesus is imploring you today, just as the Holy Spirit is is working within your heart. Jesus, in this statement, was working within their hearts. He's asking us today to act. You may not have anything that goes along with anything that I've said this morning, but there's something that's in your life that needs to be fixed. Jesus says, act. Jesus doesn't ask us to sit by, doesn't ask us to stay in our pews. Jesus says, act. He's here For whatever it is, the gate is open, his arms are wide. So I'm going to pray, we're going to sing a song, but act today. Dear God, I just thank you for all that you do for us. I thank you for all the blessings that you pour out on us. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy and your grace that you show us. Dear God, I thank you for opening the gate for us there on Calvary. I thank you for stretching out your arms I ask that if there's somebody here that has not found you, has not walked through that narrow gate just yet, that you would just pierce their hearts so that they come to you, so that they enter through you, so that they can have eternal life. Dear God, I just ask that you you help us today to realize what kind of fruit we're producing. Dear God, I just ask you to give us the courage to act. We sometimes worry too much about what the others around us might say or might do. But I know that if you'll give us the strength, we can act. Dear God, we we once again thank you for your Son who shed that innocent blood, who opened that gate. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.